I think there are just so many opportunities open to you in family medicine. You still get to care for pediatric patients, which is something important to me, um, but you have so many other options and you're caring for such a, um, a broader diversity of patients. And so that really spoke to me. Welcome everyone to the Primary Care Podcast. We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies told by doctors working in primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tannick. Hello, Primary Care Podcast listeners. We are back and very happy to be back podcasting after a couple of months off. I had a few guests that had to reschedule and I thought that I would just kind of take that opportunity to lay low and focus on my own life and studies for a bit. But I had the opportunity to chat with a friend of mine who just matched into a family medicine residency here in Colorado. So we recorded this episode just a few days ago. My guest on this episode is Colleen Marr. She's a current fourth-year medical student at Rocky Vista University. She is just weeks away from graduating and getting the title of doctor. And I met Colleen when I was a first-year med student and she was a second year. We were both on the leadership team for our school's chapter of the ACOFP, which is the American College of osteopathic family physicians. As a second year student, she won the Principles of Clinical Medicine Award, which is given for exemplary attitude, work ethic, success, and support of classmates in our our, uh, clinical medicine class. I think that tells you a lot about her as a person, a student, and a future family doctor. I've volunteered with Colleen at a community or event or two and seen her being active in her community. We've traveled together to Chicago for a family medicine conference. I'm really proud of her for matching into her preferred specialty of family med and at her top choice of residency, which is the Health One program in suburban Denver, and also forgetting to remain close to her family with whom she is very close and her community and support system. So starting this summer, you can catch her being an intern or first year resident physician at Sky Ridge Medical Center and the Medical Center of Aurora. In this episode, she discusses the process of picking a specialty and her experience narrowing it down between family medicine and pediatrics and pursuing it through third and fourth years of medical school. We talk about applying to sub-internships, performing on sub-internships, applying for and interviewing for residency programs, the match, and her future in medicine. Colleen breaks down the process and gives her pro tips along the way. We also get a little philosophical about aspects of medical education and discuss burnout in medicine as well. All in all, I think this will be interesting and useful for those of us going through medical education and for anybody who wants to understand the process of going through clinical education to become a physician. 
So let's get to it. I hope you enjoy eavesdropping on my conversation with fourth year osteopathic medical student, almost doctor, Colleen Marr. I'm a, a Colorado native uh, in the sense that I was born here. Parents are not from here, but my sister and I were both born here. Um, we lived for a short time in Inglewood, Colorado, and then rest of my time have been here in Aurora, Colorado. So just a few minutes down the road from Rocky Vista, um, which has been great. I uh, have a younger sister. Um, we grew up kind of enjoying all of the, the activities that Colorado has to offer. So lots of outdoor things. Um, uh, and went to high school here, went to undergrad at CU down in Denver, um, and then took a year to work at a physical therapy office before um, or while applying to medical school. And then for the last four years, three and a half years, have been at Rocky Vista down in Parker. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you uh, working at a PT office. Yeah, it was um, kind of going through undergrad. Knew I wanted to do something in the, the healthcare industry. Um mm-hmm thought a lot about physical therapy versus medical school versus kind of all of the other options within the healthcare industry. Um, I felt like uh, osteopathic medical school uh, was kind of the, the best blend between everything that I wanted to do. Um, but I think had I chosen a different avenue in medical school, I definitely would have gone to physical therapy school. That's interesting. Um, so what was that kind of first interest in medicine? You talked about it kind of being broad and wanting to incorporate physical therapy and medicine. Um, how did it start for you? Yeah, I think the draw to physical therapy for me and really kind of the the seedling that grew into my interest in healthcare was probably personal involvement in athletics, um, kind of that health and wellness industry, um, which then morphed into kind of a professional one, coached a bunch of different sports, was coaching while I was working at that physical therapy office. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was that was kind of the, the interest that sparked the PT side of things. Um, but then um, did a lot of volunteering when I was in undergrad at hospitals, those sorts of things, and just felt like I wanted, I, I kind of wanted both sides of the spectrum. You know, I definitely enjoyed the hands-on manipulation type thing, but I definitely wanted sort of the academic research, hard sciences. And I thought that osteopathic medical school kind of just blended those two together the best. Yeah, and I think it really does. I can't imagine a profession that actually blends those aspects of medicine more. Um, did you always know that you wanted to be in family medicine or uh, primary care? Um, or, or was that something you found along the way? Yeah, so going in, I definitely knew primary care was where I was headed. Um, coming into medical school, I was sort of undecided between pediatrics and family medicine. And I even felt that way going into third year. Um, I did my pediatrics rotation before my family medicine rotations, and I loved it. You know, I love working with kids. If I was going to pick a different specialty, I'd do pediatrics. But then I did my family medicine rotations, and I actually did my rotations in Greeley. So I got to see, you know, I grew up in Aurora, and so you can see sort of what a suburban-type family medicine practice looks like in that sort of a picture. But in, mm-hmm. in Greeley, you see a much different, more full spectrum what that can look like in terms of family medicine. And I think that was a big uh, part of the reason that swayed me. Um, I think there are just so many opportunities open to you in family medicine. You still get to care for pediatric patients, which is something important to me. Um, but you have so many other options and you're caring for such a, um, a broader diversity of patients. And so that really spoke to me. 
Um, but yeah, going in, I knew I wanted to do primary care no matter what. It was just kind of deciding between the two. In your rotations in Greeley, did you have a lot of experience with pediatric patients? Because I know for my family medicine rotation so far, they've not really had that many, uh, you know, pediatric opportunities for me. Not that they don't exist in some people's practices, but so far in just the kind of suburban family med two months worth of it, you know, um, haven't had a, a whole lot of peds. But tell me about your experiences there. Are you saying in the, the family medicine rotations? Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. just what, what you experienced in Greeley. So my pediatric rotation was super robust in Greeley. Um, did half of it with a pediatric hospitalist and half of it without patient peds. And so we got a huge amount of kiddos in that. Um, in family medicine rotations during third year, I was with, you know, um, I was with an older physician for one of my rotations. He no longer did OB, but we still saw a fair amount of pediatric patients. Mm -hmm. The second family medicine doctor I rotated with, he still did obstetrics. He did, he was, um, he did a, a fellowship in OB. So he was C-section trained, which meant that we were delivering babies on that rotation and he was seeing families and they were bringing in their kiddos all the time. So really? I, up in Greeley at least, yeah. had a lot of exposure to kids, even on my family medicine rotation. All right, let's get into talking a little bit more about um, your third year experience because you did yours in Greeley, Colorado. And for those who don't know, that's um, about an hour or so away from Denver. Um, and it's a really, it's, it's not, you know, all that far away from Denver. It's not that far away from Fort Collins, which is another big city, but it is kind of its own rural environment out there. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of halfway between Denver and Fort Collins. Um, it is bigger now than it was, and it's definitely growing, um, but it's still a pretty small town, and it definitely has a small town feel. It's not as rural as um, some of the rotations they have out there are very rural, like you could go to Sterling or Ray, which are towns of a couple thousand people. Really, it's much larger than that, but it's very um, agricultural. There's a lot of different populations you see there. There's a lot of refugees, and so... We took care of a big Somali population. Um, so it's just, it's uh, the experience in Greeley is a little bit different than what you would see in Metro Denver um, is, is kind of what I was getting at there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as students going through their third year rotations, trying to pick through, you know, from a couple of different specialties, or maybe they don't know at all, um, what kind of pro tips do you have for people? I know you kind of talked about your own experience, but maybe you can broaden it a little bit um, as someone who's been through it. I think, you know, if you go into third year knowing you're dead set on one specialty, um, you're kind of, I would say, not an anomaly. I think I've, I definitely know folks who have gone that route and they've known 100% they went into that and that's what they matched into. I would just say, keep your keep your mind open. You know, I was, I was leaning a little bit more towards pediatrics before I went into my third year. And then I, I fell into family medicine and I was like, nope, you know, this is, this is where I'm at. So I'd say, keep your mind open. Everybody, you know, at least at our school and at most schools is going to have to do a certain set of core rotations. And most folks will end up kind of in one of those specialties. But if you have an interest that is not within those core rotations, I think it's very important that you kind of take the ownership, take the onus, and make sure you have electives in whatever it is you're seeking out. Um, so core rotations would, at least for our school, would be family medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, internal medicine, and surgery. So 
if you're kind of leaning towards one of those specialties, you may not have to seek out opportunities on your own. But if you're leaning into, and even if you're leaning into a subspecialty, say cardiothoracic surgery or some sort of subspecialty within those, I think it's really important to do an elective in that just to make sure that it's something that you would enjoy and not something that you're just like, oh, actually, that's not for me. Yeah. I mean, that would be really difficult if you were kind of interested in, in, yeah, something very specific or, or ortho surgery and primary care family medicine or something like that. Right. Um, just because those are so different, it sounded like you knew you wanted to be in primary care, but did you want to do it with little people or everybody? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I think though, you know, like the example you gave, I have a friend who was potentially interested in surgery and then ended up falling in love with family medicine and matched in family medicine. So I would just say, you know, sometimes you have these set ideas in your head going into something, but just be very open-minded. Third year is not going to make or break you, but it's going to give you kind of insight into this whole world that is medicine. And you're going to get a little taste of everything. Take those experiences as they come and just internalize and say, where do I think I would be the happiest practicing for the next 40 years, hopefully? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any, any thoughts or any advice on... Actually, for instance, I had a friend who just contacted me recently saying that they were interested in emergency and they thought they were going to go down the emergency medicine path, did an elective in emergency, ended up kind of liking the more family medicine aspects and primary care aspects of emergency medicine. And now they're going down the family med uh, route. Um, So they feel like they're a little late to the game because they haven't really been rah-rah family med the whole time, like maybe you and I have, because we've been you know, participating in kind of leadership and family medicine um, throughout the preclinical years and throughout our uh, the, you know, third year as well. But then so now, now where do we go from here? We just decided we're going to be in any specialty. This, you know, in this example, it's family medicine at late in third year. Now what? Yeah. I I don't think that that is an uncommon situation. Um, You know, it might seem like everybody knows what they want to do 100% going in, but I think people change their mind more often than you might think. Um, I think there are huge advantages to knowing what you want to do and kind of showing commitment to that specialty ahead of time, but that's not going to be the case for everybody. And like in the example that you gave, I think it's fine that you're getting towards the end of your third year and you're finding out, hey, I have interest in this other specialty that I didn't quite think I did. I think you can make a very strong application that says, I was headed down this one path, but then this experience is how I fell in love with this specialty. And then for your, for your, whatever example it is, you have to then going forward, show that you're committed to that specialty. So in your example, it would be, yeah, I I was thinking uh, emergency medicine, fell in love with family medicine. Since then, I have done X, Y, and Z, which could be doing tons of sub-eyes, could be doing more elective rotations in family medicine, um, networking with different family medicine physicians, um, but just kind of showing your commit from, commitment from that point on um, and just saying, yeah, I had this aha moment. I fell in love with this specialty, and that's where I want to be. Awesome. So then, like you you just kind of alluded to, the idea of doing a lot of sub internships. I know that you, I think you did five sub internships. Is that right? Which is essentially as much as you can do. Maybe you could have squeezed in a sixth. I don't know, but 
I think there there's the opportunity. I think I could have, if I had scheduled it differently, maybe squeezed in one more. I personally wouldn't recommend it. I think I know of one person who did six sub-eyes, but they were going into a specialty that was fairly competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it depends on how long the sub-eyes are. So some sub-eyes audition rotations, they'll call them different things, but they essentially mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the ones I did were four weeks long. I know there are some that are only two weeks long. And so if you had if you had that opportunity to do a two-week rotation, I think you could then squeeze in a few more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, at some point you hit the the law, the point of diminishing returns, right? Yeah. For me personally, five five was great. Um, I think that's a lot, especially for a specialty like family medicine. Um, but I I wanted that to, in this year that we're in, I wanted that to have the opportunity to interface with the programs face to face. Um, and so for me, doing five gave me the opportunity to see, hey, would I fit in well with this program or not? Um, but yes, five is a lot of sub eyes to do. Uh, you know, the the advice that I have been given by a number of different people, advisors, and just kind of the, the common uh, wisdom here is that family med, mm, it's not as competitive as, I don't know, um, surgery. Then so, yeah, surgery, you'd probably want to do four, five, three, four, five sub eyes, but family med, one or two is good. And then they they like to see you having a diverse set of experiences outside of that. Do a, a derm rotation, a cardiology rotation, a, a pediatric rotation, whatever it is, um, and just kind of, a, you know, because it's such a broad field, having those broad experiences. But now it's kind of a different time than it ever has been before. And you and another person that I know who also matched uh, family medicine in in the Denver area, I, I talked to them as well, and they talked about having five sub internships as well, having it be a really informative and and positive experience, though exhausting, though tiresome, and you're always kind of, you know, quote unquote on. My point is they, everybody that I've talked to recently, who's actually experienced this process recently has talked about doing five sub eyes or doing a lot of sub eyes is important, not just because you get to a differentiate the differences between the programs feeling you know the vibe of different places especially if you're not going to be able to be there on an in-person interview and also to have the really quality experiences of a of a difficult inpatient rotation that a lot of uh, family med rotations or uh, sub internships consist of how do we make sense of all that do we want the the broad experience do we want to get our sub eyes in early and then go, uh, uh, um, you know, get that broad experience? Do we want to have those different experiences early so that that kind of sets us up for being good at uh, being, you know, performing well on our sub eyes? What do we do? It's a good question. I think you know, if this year has taught us anything, I think it's that you have to be flexible, and I think that's first and foremost. Um, my recommendations on that, and again, I don't know what this year is going to look like for you guys. I don't know what the application cycle will look like. Mm-hmm. Who knows if it will be half virtual, half in person. But I would I would operate under the assumption that a lot of things are still going to be virtual. Yeah. Um, most of the interviews I would anticipate are going to be virtual. My recommendation would be do your sub-eyes first because you want to get in with the programs before you interview, ideally. 
And most interviews are going to happen within like the October to December, some in January timeframe. Mm -hmm. So you want to try and get your sub eyes in then. You're right. You won't have had the experience of those other rotations, dermatology, cardiology, et cetera, before going in. But they know that, right? They know that you're a third year coming in and that in August, this is your first or second, fourth year rotation. They don't expect you to be an intern at that point, but they understand that you're working your way towards it. Um, I think the other good thing, and this doesn't necessarily apply to all specialties, but in family medicine, the kind of the breadth and depth of problems you're going to be seeing on an inpatient rotation or even in clinic, it covers a lot of different um, kind of areas of medicine. So you're going to be seeing dermatology, cardiology, pulmonology, all within that same rotation. Um, I would say, so kind of just to reiterate, I would say do your sub eyes up front, get your interviews done, and then start kind of filling your plate with those other rotations um, that will kind of give you a more well-rounded education at the end of your education as you move into intern year. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you're not the first to have uh, said that as well as try to get the important stuff done first, the the sub-internships, and then and then you'll a want to relax a little bit more and b be able to kind of uh, play around with diversifying your education there i think that's a super important point too to highlight is that fourth year is emotionally taxing in different ways right like when you're on a sub i like you said you're always quote unquote on which mm-hmm. is very stressful um it can be a great experience and i learned a lot but it's definitely a stressful process the interview, the application, the matching cycle, that's all added stress. So the point I wanted to highlight is that you mentioned that at the end of your fourth year, you need to take time to relax and rejuvenate, right? So the rotations you put towards the end of your fourth year should be the things that you're kind of passionate about, wanting to learn more, kind of wanting to um, dig into a little bit more. But at the same time, it should be something that's kind of winding you down a little bit so you can take a little bit of a hiatus before the craziness of intern year starts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about differentiating programs in the same um, geographic location or just ones that seem similar. I know for you and for myself, we're kind of relatively lucky in that we had a geographic location in mind and that that is the one that we currently live in, meaning the Denver area or the Denver metro area. And for family medicine, there's, uh, I guess, five different programs just in uh, you know a stone's throw from where we are. Um, not everybody's so lucky, especially if they're going into pediatrics. There's only one in Colorado, for instance. So how do you, you know, you talked about differentiating the programs around here by going to them, doing sub-internships, getting to spend a month at each of these places, and that really informed your decision about how you were going to rank these uh, programs. What if you're not really able to do that or just what if you want to use other methods? Um, So I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts about using the Internet to be able to um, uh, find resources to differentiate programs, whether it be the AMA's resources like Frida or Residency Explorer or if there's any other websites that you have in mind. Um, How do you go about doing that on paper? Yeah, like you said, it's, it can be tough when you're not kind of seeing the programs in person. But I think kind of one of the good things to come out of this whole application cycle in this strange year is that because everything was virtual and people were looking online a lot more than they were in person, 
um, residency programs have really kind of beefed up their their websites, right? They've put on uh, virtual tours and put that on the website, and they've really tried to include a lot more information on their own personal website. So um, as you're mentioning, kind of the AMA resources, Frida was the one that I found the most valuable in terms of kind of data collection. That's how I, not everybody makes a spreadsheet, but I made a little bit of a spreadsheet that had the programs and kind of listed out just various details that Frida has on there. Um, you know, this, it doesn't matter for family medicine, but you could for other specialties. How long is it, you know, where is it located? For me, how far away is it from where my family lives? That was an important thing for me to put on there. Um, yeah. I think they include kind of, you know, how many residents are in each class and how many total. And Frida, they break it down um, for some programs into the percentage of residents that are DO versus MD may not factor into your decision. It may factor into your decision. Um, so in terms of kind of those nitty gritty details, I thought Frida was the most valuable resource for that. And that's kind of how I created my my little um, Excel spreadsheet. But really, I think um, at the end of the day, the, the individual program websites were probably the best source um, for kind of getting a sense of a program without actually being there. Um, they'll have, like I said, they'll have the kind of the virtual tours on there and you get to see Granted, it is in a sort of a scripted scenario, but you get to see the residents. A lot of times they'll show you kind of where they're working, how they're working together, those sorts of things. Um, and it can't replace in-person uh, visits and interviews and that sort of thing. But I think they've done a pretty good job of giving you a sense of the program. Yeah, I think so, uh, to some extent. Although sometimes I'm a little frustrated when I'm looking at a um, a, a program's website. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It seems like the other program's website. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not the same as actually getting to experience and talking to people there is, is uh, I guess all I'm saying. You're right. And I, I don't think there's anything that will ever be able to kind of replace that in-person thing. One, one piece of advice that I was kind of given or kind of read about throughout this whole process was, and maybe this will be different for your year, but if a program had a website that was pretty crummy and looked like probably what they had before the pandemic hit, chances are they didn't put a whole lot of effort into it. Um, and that, you know, the advice I was given was maybe steer clear of that program. I'm not saying 100% of the time, and there are some really great programs that probably have not great websites, but that was just a piece of advice that I just kept in the back of my mind as I was looking through programs. Yeah, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. Um, so in terms of applying to sub-internships, um, you applied to most of the ones that I'm applying to, I imagine, uh, around Colorado. You applied to some other ones in other states, or was that not the case? I applied to other programs for residency that were out of state, but the only sub-I's I applied to were in-state. Um, oh. And I, I only applied to five sub-I's because... So the way sub-I applications work is different for family medicine than a lot of other specialties. A lot of specialties, you'll go through VSAS, which is this website where you kind of apply for audition, sub-I uh, sub rotations, and the whole process is through that website. I didn't do anything through VSAS, so I can't really speak to that, but I'll tell you for family medicine, yeah. um, most of it's just through the individual program websites. Um, the application process is just like, you know, the nitty gritty details, your CV, those sorts of things. And a lot of programs will want you to write an essay or kind of like a mini personal statement saying, First of all, why are you interested in family medicine? And second of all, why are you interested in coming to our program to do a rotation? Um, so that's kind of the, 
the general application process for the the sub eyes um, here in Colorado and and family medicine in general. That's kind of the process. Even if you were to go to an out of state program, I think almost all other specialties go through VSAS. Don't quote me on that because I never really looked into it. But most most other folks. I think are using VSAS for the sub-eyes. Yeah, I don't know about other specialties, but I remember searching for family medicine on VSAS, thinking I would find something. In the entire country, there's maybe one or two <laughs> programs, I thought, or a very few. I don't really remember, but all, all the ones in Colorado, at least, are uh, definitely just individual applications. And then uh, some of them link to a different website called uh, mm -hmm. Clinician Nexus, I think. Um, yep. So in terms of writing those little mini personal statements and why do you want to be at this program, little uh, essay, just to apply just to the sub-I, uh, how did you go about crafting those when you know that you're going to be writing a similar thing to, to that program later in the form of a the, the final personal statement, which will presumably incorporate why you want to be in this specialty, why you want to be at this program, and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, it was that's a really good question that I didn't end up thinking about until I got to writing my personal statement for my application. It's something I probably should have thought about a little bit ahead of time. I think my this is how I ended up doing it anyways, but I think my recommendation would be when you're kind of looking at sub eyes, try and come up with some sort of generic template that is very not not vague. You definitely want to put your passion in, for, for family medicine in there, um, but more of a generic template that you can use um, kind of as your first part, the why family medicine. And then the very specific to the program, um, I, that I don't think matters a whole lot because you're not going to, I guess you could individualize your personal statement for each program you apply to. I didn't do that because that seemed... Um, crazy to me, but other people have done that for different specialties. So I'm not judging. It just, it, it seemed like way too much effort for me. So yeah. I had a generic template for the first part, why family medicine. And then my, my next little blurb about why the program was definitely more specific. And that's where you'd kind of dive deep into their website and be like, you know what, I'm interested in this that was mentioned about your program. I want to learn more about this. Um, all of those little details that will show that you actually a, looked at their website, and B, probably have an interest in some of those things that you're mentioning. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so what if you're looking at a, a sub-internship? You're like, uh, you, got, you got your eyes set on it for a residency application down the road. And keeping in mind, we're kind of still just talking about the second half of third year right now. And you don't feel like you're very competitive. Maybe it's not, you don't have the grades, you don't have the board scores, you don't have whatever other extracurriculars. How do you go about managing that? Do you not apply to the very competitive programs in just to their sub internship? Or do you go about seeking out, um, you know, other less competitive ones? Do you just go for it and, and roll the dice or, you know, just at least at least apply? I think applying to sub eyes is a very low risk scenario, right? The worst that can happen is that they say, hey, you know what? We can't take you and that's fine. I would say if you're interested in a program and if you're thinking you're not crazy competitive for that program, that would be the perfect opportunity to do a sub eye because mm -hmm. on paper, maybe you're not the best fit for that program. But if you get in there and you show them, 
hey, I've got these skills, I'm willing to work hard, I'm willing to kind of adapt, um, that's going to go a long, long way in the true application interview process. Um, so I think I would kind of side on your last one, which is kind of bet on yourself and apply to those programs, even if you think maybe it's kind of a far cry. Um, if you know somebody, if you have some sort of connection to somebody within that program, maybe there's an alumni at the school or you can talk to one of the, the faculty at the school and they have some sort of connection. I think that can go a long ways as well. Um, but I would say don't, especially for sub eyes, don't count yourself out just because of grades or, or board scores or anything. Um, I would go for it. Yeah. I guess the only risk that, that you incur in doing so is the time and effort. Because like we talked about there for family med, there's not really a common application like VSAS um, where you can send to a bunch of different programs at once. You have to really <laughs> create a brand new application for each uh, sub internship that you're applying to. And, and you can try to keep a little generic first paragraph, but I actually found that it really didn't work like that. The, the prompts were just different enough that they forced me to write my own, you know, individualized little essay of a personal statement for each program. But I think that the last point you just made actually is a, is a perfect segue into talking about fourth year and uh, getting into your fourth year experience and, and some pro tips about actually performing on sub internships. How do we succeed in a sub internship? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, it can be, I think each step in, in medical school and really life in general, it can be a daunting process, right? You're transitioning from third year into this fourth year role. And in particular, being a sub-I is, the goal is to be acting as an intern. Um, as I mentioned, I think earlier in August or September or those earlier rotations, they're going to know and acknowledge that you are a third year just coming off of your third year and just getting into fourth year. It's the same way they acknowledge that the interns are just graduated fourth years coming into their intern year. So I think things kind of ramp up as you go throughout. So a sub-I in August is going to be different than a sub-I in January. But for any sub-I, no matter the time, I think um, you got to be willing to participate. I would say just say yes to everything, right? Again, they're not going to expect you to know everything right off the bat, but they want you to show that you're dedicated, that you're a team player, that you're willing to put in the effort and the work that needs to happen in order for this medical team to run. I think um, sometimes it can be a little bit surprising going from third year to fourth year in that a lot of times the things you're doing are really going towards patient care. So some a lot of times the notes you're writing, those are the notes that are going into the chart. Sometimes you have the ability to put in orders that are actually going and those are the orders that the patient that are going to the patient. So the things you're doing really matter. Um, and I think taking ownership and taking responsibility for that goes a long way. Um, I think at the same time, though, don't lose sight of the fact that you're in your fourth year of medical school, which means that this is still part of your education. So always be asking questions. This is part of your learning. You're paying for this opportunity. It's a great opportunity, but you're still paying for it and you're still trying to learn and become an intern next year. So don't lose sight of the, the fact that this is your education and you need to make that your priority too. Um, and then I think kind of on a, you know, fitting into the program well uh, sort of feel, you would want to find ways to make your residents' lives easier. 
you know, it sounds a little bit silly, but the more things that you can become proficient at, the more things that you can do to make your interns' lives easier, to make your upper levels' lives easier, the better they're going to see you doing as an intern coming in next year. And that doesn't come right off the bat. Like I said, I think this all takes time to develop, but you have between two and four weeks on a rotation. The first day, you're not going to know, you know, probably even how to how anything works, not going to know the EMR, not going to know the hospital, not going to know the clinic. But as you get further into that rotation, you should be able to pick up on sort of processes um, and kind of fit yourself in where you can and just always say yes to any opportunity. It's good advice. Good advice. So can you give us a couple of examples of a way that maybe maybe a real life example that you actually, uh, you know, experienced where you made someone's life easier when maybe a, a resident and, and maybe an example for a, an upper level or a attending physician? Or... Yeah, I I think I probably have more examples for the residents because that's just the ones that come to mind. I'm sure I've probably done something at some point to help an attending, but that doesn't come to mind right off the bat. Okay. Um, I think, though, uh, kind of two examples. We had... Um, on my, actually, my very first sub-I, we had interns who were very, I was very new to fourth year. They were very new to being interns. And right. so there was a lot of anxiety there. There was a lot of inefficiency <laughs> there. Um, and so what I was able to do is take on a patient from each intern, which meant that they're still seeing the patients and they're still at the end of the day responsible for them. But I was able to write the entire note for each of those patients, send it to the resident, and the resident was able to use that note. It seems like a really small thing, but when you're a new intern and you're taking on seven, eight patients and you just came off a fourth year where you were maybe maybe handling four, like having one patient kind of taken care of by a medical student makes a huge difference. Again, they're still responsible at the end of the day. They're the one that is responsible, but that makes a huge difference. And then on one of my last sub-eyes, um, we had three consults from the ER come in at once which was a lot um, mm -hmm. to come in all at one time. But at that point, the team felt comfortable enough with me that they sent me on my own to go see and admit a patient to the hospital, right? That's something probably in August they wouldn't have been able to do. But as a sub-I in January, I was able to get that process rolling. Again, the residents looked over everything, but the, everything was in there and it was a much quicker process for the upper level to just admit that patient to the service after I had gone, seen them, written the notes, written the admit orders, those sorts of things. So those are kind of two examples that I would give kind of a starting sub-I and then more of a finishing sub-I. Yeah, that's really cool, especially, you know, there's not all that many ways in which we can track our progress um, like that. And, and so that's cool that you could definitely say, I would not have been able to do that in August. And I definitely did that and, and toward the end of uh, your your audition season. Um, you know, it, you brought up a couple of different ideas in my head that are, are difficult to, to hold in there at the same time, because just in terms of the way that a fourth year student is expected to be and expected to, to shine, what are all the demands that are asked of them during that process? You want to, you know, like what are the, what are the, the basic, um, pieces of advice that people get, you know, it's be yourself, but you know, don't be weird and fit in. You want to really fit in, find your people, but you want to stand out. So really stand out. You want to be memorable, but you know, for good things, not for bad things, you know, 
you want to choose what you're memorable for. You want to be smart, but don't act like you know everything. You know, you want to work real hard and show effort, but don't be too showy. You know, don't don't show off and don't uh, brag about how much effort you're putting in. Uh, you want to be someone that uh, people want to hang out and have a beer with, but you you know don't have too many beers. Don't be a degenerate alcoholic during the rotation. No. Um, so these are all kind of dichotomies that I'm thinking about that are really just demands that every human being kind of has to negotiate. It's not all that different, but it seems a little bit different because it's just one long job interview um, that is going on throughout basically two years of your life that starts in third year and ends uh, in mid-March. So how do you, how did you balance all that or, or, or juggle that or hold all those together and perform the best you could? Yeah, you're right there. I think that there is a lot of contradictory advice um, that kind of floats around. And I think you're also right in that it's a very long kind of interview, if you will. Um, I guess, you know, when you start a sub I, it's a lot of pressure in that you're thinking like, oh, God, I got to be perfect on this. And the truth of the matter is you're you're not going to be perfect, right? You're a fourth year medical student. You're bound to not know things. You're bound to kind of slip up and make mistakes. And that's kind of why the hierarchy exists. And even though you're a fourth year medical student, which means you're at the top of the medical school, school totem pole, you're at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of like medicine as a grand sort of scheme. Um, and so acknowledge that you're not going to be perfect. I think um, one of the ones you mentioned was, uh, you know, fit in. Or, but make sure you're memorable. Um, I think that by finding your people and fitting in with a group of people, that makes you memorable. Um, the program that I matched at, I just felt like I, you know, vibed with everybody really well. It was very cohesive. Everything was so smooth. There are people, like you said, that I, I could see myself kind of engaging with outside of medicine in whatever form that takes, having a beer, going for a hike, doing whatever. Um, but because everything flowed so well, it was memorable in that case. You know, I think the good stand out and the bad stands out. Mm -hmm. So it can be a memorable experience just because you fit in and, and mesh really well with the group. And on the opposite side, it could be memorable because you didn't. But I think that gives both of you information, right? It gives you information that, hey, maybe this program isn't the right fit for me or vice versa. I'm not the right fit for this program. And it gives a program the same kind of feedback. I would say just be authentic to who you are, because if you're faking your way through your sub I and you come in intern year and you are a completely different person, who knows if you're still going to fit in well with those residents, that faculty, that program. So just be authentic to who you are and don't overthink things. Again, you're in a position where there's lots of safety nets under you. So you don't have to be perfect. Be willing to make mistakes and then be willing to learn from those mistakes. Um, I guess that would be really the only advice I would say is just be true to yourself and, and you'll find the, the right fit for you. Wise words, wise words. All right, let's keep going here because we have a lot more to get to. So let's, let's get to it. Um, I want to talk about the residency application process because we're kind of there in our timeline now. Um, what was that like? And, and, and what do you think in, in terms of the from the perspective of a residency director, just the entire selection committee, 
how much weight do you think is given to different parts of the application? Does it differ for different applicants or do people have, or, you know, do programs have kind of a set weighted um, criteria that they're selecting on? Hard to say, but I think that it probably varies more by specialty than applicant. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that certain specialties obviously are going to be far more geared towards numbers, quite honestly, right? Like the more competitive specialties, a lot of it is numbers just to get your toe in the door. From there, I think things kind of diverge. For the less competitive specialties, I think it's a lot less about numbers. They're not going to kind of screen out those applicants just based on board scores or grades or whatever the numeric is. They're going to look a lot more at kind of the applicant holistically, not to say other specialties don't, but they'll look a little bit more holistically at that first kind of glance at the applicant. Um, you know, for family medicine, I think, you know, a lot of it, things that look really good on a family medicine application are that you have commitment to the specialty ahead of time, right? For better or for worse, family medicine is often kind of a fallback specialty for some folks. And I think it can be very clear in an application if this is maybe just more of a fallback kind of situation for you versus I've been committed to primary care, family medicine from the get-go. This is my strong application. Um, in terms of kind of the residency application process and, and kind of the, the areas that they would be looking at in your application on ERASC, um, uh, I just looked back at my application today so I could remember what I had even put in there, but mm -hmm. they've got kind of the typical, um, you know, your name, address, all of that sort of thing. You'll include your prior education. If you've had any sort of prior residency experience before, um, say you applied to a prelim year and then you're going into a different program afterwards, you put that in there. Mm -hmm. um, they look at membership. So if you're in any sort of organization like the EMA or the, the family medicine, the ACOFP, those sorts of things, you put in any sort of awards or honors that you've had. Um, and then it, the experience is, I think, a big bulk of that application. So you put in things like work experience, volunteer experience, research experience, and that kind of is the meat and the potatoes of the application. And then hobbies and interests is at the very end. And there's always some controversy over hobbies and interests section, but I think it's super important. I think it kind of gives the gives a, a good holistic picture of who you are as a person and also provides a really good talking point, right? It's a good icebreaker if somebody shares the same hobby as you and that interviewee, uh, that interviewer comes up and says, hey, tell me about your music, Ross. That provides a good connection or talking point. And then the personal statement is obviously a big part of the application process. Um, and I don't know uh, if you want to chat about personal statements or, yeah, or the process let, for that at all. Let's do it. It's, it seems like kind of a daunting task. You know, there's a little bit of a formula of how to make a good personal statement, but there's a lot of different variations on it. How did you go about picking your personal statement and, and what it would say and and how to best convey your candidacy for residency? Yeah, um, I think... I actually approach this a lot like I did my medical school personal statement. And I know not everybody can do that, but I came into medical school kind of wanting the same things that I'm coming out of medical school wanting. So um, I didn't use the same personal statement, obviously. I'm not the same person I was four years ago. But a lot of the the key themes from my personal statement that I wrote to get into medical school are, are the same that are in my personal statement for residency. I think... Um, you know, I kind of reflected back on what 
drew me to medicine in the first place. And then in particular, what drew me to my specialty? So what drew me to family medicine? Um, where do I see kind of that growing into? What do I see myself doing with that? Um, and beyond that, I, you know, you just try and fit it into one page. So you kind of be your authentic self, but in a very abbreviated version mm -hmm. um, and just kind of cram it into one page. But if you, you know, if you are kind of in the same headspace that you were prior to medical school, I don't think there's anything wrong with adapting the, the personal statement that you used to get into medical school. Okay. Okay. Um, do you go about telling a, like a story, a patient interaction story? Is that, is that something that you put in yours? Did you um, start with that? Did you put that in the middle? How did you go about kind of crafting that? I didn't. I know a lot of people do. Um, you know, like I've seen people do kind of a patient story. I've seen people do a story about what, like what in their life in the early part of their life drew them to medicine in the first place. I wouldn't say I put in a particular story about before medical school, but a lot of it was highlighted in my, the work that I did before medical school, how that translated into kind of third, fourth year deciding what I wanted to do and then where I want to go with it in the future. So I kind of tried to a little bit tell a story of like the timeline of where I, of how I got to where I am and then how I'm excited to kind of proceed into family medicine, residency and beyond. Um, I think it can be very powerful to tell a story, especially if you're somebody who's kind of gone in thinking one specialty and then there was a moment or patient interaction or even it was an interaction with a physician and you were like, nope, I'm changing my mind. I want to go into this specialty now. And that aha moment can be super powerful if you want to incorporate it into a personal statement. So let's uh, let's say you got an invite to an interview. They loved your personal statement, um, and now you're you're preparing for your interview. How do you go about preparing in terms of really? I'm thinking of how how does one sell themselves? I, I feel like when I am selling myself, it's so uncomfortable. I'm not. I don't like doing it. I, I'm not used to doing it. Um, maybe a lot of people uh, feel the same way. How did you go about getting through that discomfort and selling yourself um, in an appropriate way? I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people, especially people who go into medicine, feel that same way. Um, you know, maybe you have the the um, person who was in business beforehand or was in sales beforehand and came into medical school after. And this is a breeze for them because that's what they've been doing their whole life. But mm -hmm. for a lot of folks in medical school, it's really hard to be like, this is who I am. This is why you want me. Um, I think um, in almost every interview I, I, I did this year, I got the question, tell me about yourself. And I think that is the perfect time to kind of work on your elevator speech, but tell them about you as a person, right? There's plenty of times for you to kind of boast about your academic accomplishments and, and prove all of your medical knowledge and, and really get into why you want to go into this specialty. But who are you as a person? Because you're going to be a resident, but at the same time, you're going to be a person that's going to be interacting with other residents and faculty. And like we mentioned before, you're not just going to be in a clinical setting. You're going to want to kind of be outside of medicine and be with these folks. So what makes you you um, as a person? Um, I think that's a really important question to have a good 30 minute or 30 second to a minute answer to, um, because you're probably going to get that at almost every interview. And I think that that's a good way to 
maybe calm your nerves a little bit because you're usually talking about things that you're pretty comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of selling yourself, we kind of chatted about this earlier, but I think you need to be confident in yourself and what you've done, but not arrogant. And that's, you know, it's a fine line, right? It's hard to kind of kind of ride that wave and and not sound arrogant. But at the end of the day, you're pointing out things that you think highlight accomplishments in your life, things that you've done well, uh, personal attributes you think would fit well into this program. And you shouldn't be you know, kind of ashamed or shy to bring those up because it's important and that's what they want to hear. Um, it's hard. I, I don't know. I would just say, you know, practicing talking to folks, you know, practicing interviews. Uh, our school, I don't know if they're doing it again this year, but they had a program called The Big Interview, which is a virtual thing online where you are prompted with questions and then you can practice doing your response virtually and then you can play it back and be like, whoa, I sounded horrible on that answer, or that's actually a really good way. I'd like to do that again. Um, so practice, 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 um, I guess would be the moral of the story there. Yeah, no, that's, that is uh, really good advice, um, especially the recording yourself, because that's even more uncomfortable than, I mean, that's the most uncomfortable thing to yep. watch yourself stumble through a, a couple of answers, especially when it's your first time practicing, then you're going to be horrible at it. And it's going to be just cringeworthy, but there's nothing that makes you better at performing than listening back to a practice session. Right. And it's better to have that practice session before it's your first interview than in your first interview. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I really just kind of want to skip ahead to what goes on with the match? You rank programs. Programs rank you, meaning the the student, the applicant. Um, how do you go about doing that? Or how I should say, how did you go about doing that? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of exactly like you described. Uh, the you're going to put together your list of programs that you're interested in, in order of which you would like to attend them. Programs will then put together a list of applicants that they want in their program in order of which they would like them. And then there's this whole algorithm that kind of matches you up as best as it can. I think um, kind of the approach to rank ranking programs is very individual. But for me personally, a lot of it had to do, one, with um, kind of proximity to my support system. Um, so we mentioned it back in the, the beginning, but I'm from Colorado uh, still live with my family and being close to them and, and having that proximity was hugely important. Um, and then equally as important was how well did I fit in that program, right? So I would say there were probably my top five programs I would have been extremely happy getting into. I felt like they were good locations. The programs were very solid. And I felt like I, I you know, meshed really well with those programs. So I would have been happy with any of my top five. From there, for me personally, a lot of it was based on location, right? So the further away it got from my family and support system, the lower it was on the list. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is going to feel that way. Um, And I'd actually say probably more people than not would not feel that way. Um, That's just how I did it. I think there are some some folks who were just like, I'm going to put the strongest program based on whatever criteria I have at the very top of the list, and I'm going to go strongest to weakest. Um, But I think it's super individual. Okay. Okay. And then, so the flip side is that programs are also ranking all the students they see. 
How do you think, I, mean, I guess we kind of did t- talk about that in terms of when we were talking about the interview, but do you think that there's any other aspects that we didn't talk about when in terms of how programs rank students? Yeah, the only other thing that I wanted to mention, and, and I'll kind of preface this with the fact that I was an applicant this year, I was not on the other side of this, so I don't know how this process goes. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that residents actually have a, a pretty big say in the rank order, right? Yeah. Um, so that was not really surprising to me, but something that was, I thought, good to know in that the relationships you're making, if you're honest about it, those actually do come into play, right? You have people who are advocating for you, or if, you know, maybe things didn't go the way you wanted, people who are saying, hey, no, let's kind of distance ourselves. But hopefully you have people who are advocating for you on the night that the program kind of ranks students. Um, and so I, that's really the only thing that I know about the process. Um, and I don't know a whole lot about how they choose um, or what it looks like on that side of things. Maybe next year I'll, I'll have kind of the insider scoop, although I'm sure they're probably not allowed to share. Yeah. You mentioned um, programs, maybe reaching out to a, an applicant saying, hey, we really liked you, wink, wink, or we want to rank you high or rank you number one or in the top 10 or whatever it is. Um, but students can also kind of uh, reach out to programs as well and say, you're my number one program. I really liked X, Y, and Z, and I hope to see you again soon. Um, Did you do that? Is that something that um, is advised to do? Um, What what are your thoughts on that whole process? Yeah, so I didn't do it. Um, There was some advice. This year was really strange. Um, So, you know, this year could be different than a lot of past years. Um, But there was advice floating around that if you were feeling unsure that you were going to match somewhere, that it was really important for you to kind of make those connections via email or whatever, whatever you wanted to do. Um, I did not. Um, I felt like and I was in a unique situation because I did five sub eyes. So we talked about that. But I felt like the connections I had made on those sub eyes was enough, right? At the end of the sub eye where I matched, I basically was like, yeah, I love your program. I want to come here next year. And they're like, yeah, we love you too. So it was a really good match. And I kind of already had those connections made. And I didn't think it was necessary to reach out to them again and say, hey, you're my number one. I will say that at the programs I was really interested in, I made it a point to go to anything they offered. So if they af- offered something after interviews that was like a virtual happy hour or a Q&A or oh, something nice. like that, showing your face at those sorts of things is is important in my mind because it gives you more face time and it shows the program that, hey, they're willing to put in the effort. They are really interested in our program. Um, now, if you were in a more competitive specialty and maybe were thinking you were kind of in jeopardy a little bit, I think there could be value in that and just being like, hey, you know, X program, you're my number one program. I love you because of these reasons and I want to come to your program next year. I think there could be value in that. I just don't, I don't have the experience in it. And I I don't know if I would say not in family medicine at all, but just in the, the programs I applied to, it didn't seem necessary. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if somebody reached out and said, you're my number one program. I really want to be here. Uh, how would that really affect my rank order of of applicants if I was the program director, the pro, you know the the selection committee? 
I don't know that that would really, it, it would be nice. It'd be great. But am I really af- adjusting the, the list based on that? Do they go to the top of the list because they reached out? Maybe. I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I don't know either. Um, I think this kind of ties in as well. Some folks will write thank you notes after every interview. Mm-hmm. That's something that I didn't do. Um, some programs will say, hey, we don't want thank you notes. Other programs won't say at all, and so it's up to you. Mm-hmm. I think I feel the same way that you just said, right? Me writing a thank you note for my interview, how is that really going to affect? It's a nice gesture, but I also felt like I was very appreciative during my interviews, and I made that abundantly clear. So right. it felt redundant to me, but I do know some people did that, and so that's also another option um, that I just wanted to point out some people did. Cool. All right. Let's get into transitioning to intern year, which you are about to do. You're about, what, two weeks away from graduation, something like that, maybe three weeks? Yeah, right around there. That's, I mean, that's so exciting. It's so cool. You'll be officially a doctor. And it's pretty uh, crazy to hear that. Yeah. Um, I assume you feel not qualified <laughs> to be called a doctor because I feel like I'm not qualified to be almost a fourth year medical student. So, um, but that's okay. You just keep going and, uh, eventually you'll feel comfortable in that role, but you'll be transitioning to internship shortly here. And I imagine there will be ways in which you'll feel comfortable and not comfortable in that role. So what do you expect as some of the, the big challenges of that transition or of just being an intern. Yeah, I think you 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 said it exactly right, you know. Medical school is a whole lot of fake it till you make it and imposter syndrome is a very real thing. Um so your assumption in kind of me not feeling deserving of the title or qualified for the title just yet is completely accurate and I would venture to say a lot of my classmates feel the same. Um but transitioning to intern year, I think There's going to be a lot of challenges and probably some that I can't even imagine yet because I haven't done it. But I think one of the big ones for me would be kind of the added responsibility. We had talked about before as a sub I, you want to take ownership and responsibility for your patients. But at the end of the day, they're not your patients, right? They're the interns patients or the upper levels patients. At the end of the day, when you're an intern, they're your patients, right? And what you're doing is that's the care they're receiving. Um, And I think it's good that we have residency because there are these levels of safety nets underneath you and it's a hierarchy and you're still learning and working your way up to it. But that added responsibility, it brings on a a whole level of stress that I can only imagine is going to be very daunting as I, as I get in there. And I think intern year in general is just a big learning curve for most people, right? You're transitioning, you know, you probably did some rotations, some sub eyes, and have an idea of what it's going to look like, but you're transitioning into a whole new part of your life, really. Um, and so it's figuring out how to balance your work with your life, which is probably not really going to happen, but what can you do to kind of make that a little bit more even of a skew? Um, and then within residency, it's what does the EMR look like? How do I write notes? How do I get around these hospitals? What does the clinic look like? Where are these resources? So I think a lot of that kind of logistical stuff will be a steep learning curve at the beginning. Um, But hopefully as you get a little bit more comfortable throughout the year, we'll kind of level out or taper off a little bit. So speaking of that topic, 
how what's your what's your burnt out ometer at this point <laughs> i know you you just talked about a little bit uh earlier that fourth year you definitely want to set yourself up for having a little bit more of a relaxed less stressful last couple months um before internship starts um and i know that some people talk about just the the fact that third and fourth year medical students have very high burnout rates and I imagine residents as well and basically everybody in the medical field. But where are you at right now? How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, right now in in the grand scheme of medical school, I'm at what is considered the easiest point. So I would say right, right now I feel great. Um, <laughs> I think, I, you know, like we mentioned, there were very stressful times throughout this fourth year, um, probably compounded by the, the fact of things that are going on outside of medicine as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for any fourth year and third year as well, um, there's a lot of stressful times. It's hard to say that I was burnt out. I think it, you know, I think everybody interprets being burnt out in a different way. But yeah. in my mind, I'm not necessarily entitled to feel burnt out just at this moment because I've really been in true clinical care for what, two years now. Um, and so I wouldn't say I'm burnt out. I think there are things that get frustrating in the day-to-day -day processes, obviously very stressful. Um, there are things within the medical system, some of the things that I was w aware of before coming into medical school and some of the things that I just sort of found out throughout my medical school experience that just really irk me and I, I think are not conducive to good patient care or healing. And I think kind of the frustration involved in those is some of the things that kind of drives that burnt out feeling in me, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I like to try and see those more as challenges, right? You know, I'm, I'm one person and I'm, you know, going to be a doctor here very shortly, but I can, I can make small changes in, in those bigger problems. And I try and see that as a way forward. I also think it's really important to kind of get in a routine of, of self-care and, and, caring for yourself before you care for patients, because if you can't take care of yourself, it's going to be really tough for you to be there for your patients. You know, the old adage of put your, your oxygen mask on before assisting others. I think it rings really true. And I think it's often lost in medical professionals, which is a huge disservice to the patients that we see. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of trying to incorporate a lot of important self-care things for me being active spending time with my family, kind of incorporating some mindfulness meditation type things have all been really important um, in all of medical school, but in particularly the last two years. Yeah. That would be kind of where I'm at in terms of being burnt out in, in this whole process. Yeah. And, and just to speak to that uh, topic that you brought up about not feeling entitled to, to burn out. I don't know. I think it, it's, uh, it would be okay if you did feel burnt out. Um, clearly a lot of people are and do feel that, um, even early on in their medical journey and the third year, fourth year, these are difficult years where you're trying to, you know, have a, essentially a nine to five or more than that job. But plus you have to study, um, in the evenings and oftentimes throughout the weekend. And then you still get evaluated all the time by your the doctors that you're working with and you have to take all these exams and they matter, you know, especially for, um, they just matter for everybody. You want to do well on these exams. You're and, right. And I definitely yeah. don't mean to say that 
people aren't entitled to being burnt out at this point in their medical training. Mm -hmm. I think it just comes down to how you interpret it. And the way I interpret it is, is different than probably how you interpret it. Mm -hmm. And I would say you made a really good point about the first few years of medical school. I think I was probably more burnt out during my burnt out, if you will, Mm -hmm. during my second year of medical school than third year or fourth year, Mm -hmm. because I really crave patient interaction, human interaction, and being behind a textbook or a laptop for 12 hours a day studying, that was not my idea of a good time, right? Yeah. Um, And so I thought being out in the real world made a huge difference for me in terms of feeling, you know, not less stressed because I was definitely equally stressed, but at least a little bit more gratified in what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and the the stresses kind of just change. They you know, there's less sitting behind a laptop or buried in a textbook, but that still exists to a, a large extent. And then there's, you know, more just un, uncertainty. You don't have a curriculum really guiding you on what to study and how to learn things, and that's how the real world is, but you're just kind of in the infancy of it and and you're losing your innocence to the aspects of medicine, like like you kind of spoke about a little bit, and you don't know what your next month is going to be like, or you know, I there's uh, plenty of times where I couldn't make plans for a week from now because I didn't know the schedule, um, which is not like a typical job or not like any other, you know, most any other aspect of uh, real life. But um, I digress. In your uh, your program, which I don't know if we've really uh, talked about, you're going to be a resident at Sky Ridge Medical Center. Yep, going to be at the the Sky Ridge Health One program, um, which is actually split between Sky Ridge and Medical Center of Aurora. Right. The clinic is based over at Medical Center of Aurora, but it's the Sky Ridge program. Yep. Got it. Um, so, what? Um, how do you expect to be supported by? your program by, by, um, the health one residency program in your transition and just throughout your time as a resident there, um, emotionally, intellectually, what, what do you, uh, expect as like the, the really positive aspects of, uh, that program? Yeah. Um, you know, this was a program that I had done a sub I with, and I was super grateful to have done that sub I, because I, I got to see kind of firsthand what it looks like to be a resident there to be an intern there, a second year there, a third year there. Um, it's a relatively newer program compared to some of the programs in Colorado. Um, and I think that in being new, they're very open and receptive to feedback um, and, from residents. And so even within the, the month that I was there, they were making changes to schedules based on feedback they were getting from interns and, and upper levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think having a program that is willing to listen to your concerns Maybe they can't change them. Everybody has to meet certain ACGME requirements, um, but is at least willing to hear those concerns and do what they can. I think that makes a a big difference in kind of supporting residents. I think also, and this was a big part of the reason that I chose this program, was just the, the, the vibe of everybody there and the way that I kind of fit in. I think residents, co-residents are going to be a big part of that support system and having folks that you feel that you can relate well to, can rely on those sorts of things is really big. Um, And our incoming intern year has a lot of RVU students too. So having some of those familiar faces, both in the RVU students and a lot of the faculty um, as well, Dr. Pitcher and Dr. Trawick are both preceptors there. So getting to see some familiar faces, I think will be really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's cool. 
this program too also does um, a really good job, I think, with some of their tracks. So I have a interest in sports medicine, um, and I think they have a really good sports medicine curriculum. They do really well at supporting people and getting time with different teams around um, the local area and have a pretty good track record for getting folks matched into sports medicine fellowships. So that was also something kind of intellectually that I would say they, they're good at supporting. Very cool. Well, you are uh, you are crushing it with the transitions here because that's the next topic I wanted to uh, get into. And, and maybe we can end on this. Uh, let's talk about the future. Um, we've just talked about a lot of your experiences uh, throughout the last couple of years and, and your entire life. How do you see your practice in the future? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say with 100% certainty where I'll end up. Um, I know I want to do outpatient family medicine. Um, never really had interest in doing hospital-based medicine. Have no interest in being a hospitalist. Um, I definitely want to be outpatient. I don't know if I will open my own practice. That's something that <clears throat> we've talked about in the past, but certainly have an interest in sort of the business side of things behind medicine. I think that's very intriguing. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, kind of opening your own practice, though, you run the risk of losing a little bit of the medical side towards the business side, which I think could be hard to balance. Um, so some sort of private practice setting, be it my own practice or a practice that's already established. Definitely want to practice here in Colorado. Um, don't know exactly where. Uh, have you know, kind of been in the Denver metro area for all of my life, but would consider somewhere smaller for sure, um, more of a rural practice. Uh, and then, like we mentioned just, just a second ago, sports medicine is something that I have a, have piqued an interest in. Um, don't know how far I'll pursue that, uh, but if I grow to love it, fellowship is always an option there, and then kind of getting getting on with sports teams, high school, you know, college, those sorts of things are always opportunities in that avenue. Definitely. Um, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about that in terms of all the different ways to to go after uh, residency. When you graduate from there, you're going to have uh, big decisions to make about how to set up your practice. And and hopefully, I guess you would have made those decisions or at least thought about it a little bit before uh, before the actual graduation ceremony there. But um, during family medicine training, it's so broad, you get training in so many different aspects of medicine. Um, you know, family medicine residents get obstetrics training and surgery training, hospital medicine and emergency medicine. Is there, you kind of, you kind of did already answer this question to some extent, but I want to hear kind of more of a philosophical take on it, which is like, how do you, um, how do you feel about getting training in aspects of medicine that you will not use in the future? Because seemingly nobody could really use every single aspect of, of medicine. Maybe if you were a rural doc and like the one doc in the small town, then you would be. But if you're not going to be using hospital medicine in the future or some people just don't do obstetrics, um, that's pretty common. Um, and especially more in like an urban setting where there's plenty of obstetricians around there. Um, so how, do, how does the family physician or family resident go about negotiating that and saying, all right, I'm spending a lot of time getting trained in obstetrics, but I'm not going to use it. Yeah. You know, 
I would argue that that's kind of what we're doing in our third and fourth years, right? Um, you're not going to use everything that you do on every rotation that you're doing during third and fourth year. Mm -hmm. But family medicine, in my opinion, is the specialty that makes you a good generalist, right? You need to have a good foundation in all of these things so that you can be a good general practice, which is kind of the old term for it, a GP, a general practitioner, yep. um, a good general practitioner, um, and have all of these experiences. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to use them. Does the fact that you're not going to use them mean that the information is not valuable or important? I don't think so. Um, I would much rather have learned how to deliver a baby on the off chance that at some point in my practice, I have a pregnant woman who comes in in labor and I know how to handle it, right? That's my my opinion on it. And, and like you mentioned, the hospitalist type thing. Even though I have no interest in being a hospitalist, I think there is so much knowledge and education to be gained in having training in a hospital with hospitalized patients because the acuity that you're going to see in a hospital you'll never see in a clinic maybe like like you said maybe if you were the one physician in a very rural town you might see those folks come into your clinic but i don't think the fact that you may not use that information in the future um negates the value that it's going to provide you in your training and your education so the other thing I would mention is that you could always change your mind. Family medicine provides so many different opportunities and avenues that maybe you go in and you love obstetrics um, to begin with, kind of fall out of love with it, but then it reignites in the future. If you've never had any training in it, um, it'd be really hard to kind of jump into that. So I think the, the, the breadth of training in family medicine leaves a lot of doors open for you. All right. Well, Colleen, you've been uh, enlightening on on uh, for the last about an hour and a half. I really appreciate you uh, giving us so many details of your experience and speaking so eloquently about it. It's clear that you have uh, thought deeply about uh, all these topics, and uh, it means a lot to you. So, um, really, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, appreciate you having me here. Um, hope it hope it provides some insight for for those who are coming up next. I think. You know, I've had really great kind of mentors and, and folks above me that have provided some advice. So I hope that it, it serves that purpose for somebody else. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. Your support means basically everything to me. I hope you share with a friend, a coworker, a loved one, a family member. Like it, subscribe to it, leave a review for it, pass it along. And all in all, I uh, just hope you enjoy and I hope you come back for next episode. So we'll see you again. Thanks. Just add a little pizzazz, you know what I'm saying? uterus was the universe and it bloomed and birthed the moon and the earth nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves it was a fight for survival many died though friends were formed to fight mutual rivals man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love bringing joy into their lives boom they were civilized went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne built empires and the stories well known History ticks along like a metronome And then I came to be Learned to 
walk, talk, and throw stuff all grown up. I got a job now and showing up. I'm sleep deprived. I'm misaligned. My appetite is primed to feed the ego almost all the time. And then I met you, lovely and smooth. You quickly removed my modern man's blues. I want to celebrate every breath that I take. Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming and I don't want to wait. So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. I'm forever going to grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. I'm forever going to grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. I'm forever going to grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. I'm forever going to grow into something we don't know. The universe was my universe. But I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden, plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain as I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder am I the hunted or the hunter When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said hey baby instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch, don't sprint it slow, protect your soul, travel long and far, but make sure to come home, cause the love that's here is what keeps you going, and gives you the power and the freedom to grow, let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress, this life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best, when life gets complex, don't think, just do it first, it was simpler when the uterus was so baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know, baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna Body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The universe was my universe. The universe was my universe. All conversation and information exchanged and contained in the podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be confused with medical treatment, advice, or direction. Nothing on the podcast should supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians, they are not functioning as physicians in this environment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever